Want a job where you can use your talents, make a difference, and have the freedom of remote work? Then meet Belay. Belay has contractor opportunities for proven professionals, providing administrative support and social media strategy to fast-paced organizations throughout the United States, all from your home. To learn more, just visit belaysolutions.com slash jobs to apply. That's B-E-L-A-Y solutions.com slash jobs. Donato's just didn't add bacon to their pizzas. They added bacon to their bacon. It's Donato's new Bacon Duo pizzas. Two pizzas, each with two kinds of bacon. Try the new Pepperoni Bacon Duo with pepperoni, Canadian bacon, and hardwood smoked bacon. And the Chipotle Bacon Duo with Canadian bacon and Chipotle seasoned bacon. Now get $2 off a large Bacon Duo or any large pizza. Use promo code 2. Donato's. Every piece is important. Welcome to another episode of Yappy Hour, a podcast about navigating the waters of young adulthood through discussion of pop culture, existential crises, and self-reflection. Today, we are here recording, and it is just Leah and Mia, and we are here to talk about something that we share and something that we hold near to our our identities, which is adoption. So, Leah and I were both adopted from China. Um, when we were babies. So the thing with adoption is you don't really know fully where you're from, but I know where I was physically adopted from. So I'm from Wuhan, which is the southern part of China. Yeah, where were you adopted from? To my knowledge, I was adopted from a small county just a little bit south of Beijing called Hebei. Um, And I was adopted at six months old, which is similar to Mia. She was also fairly young when she was adopted, and we were both raised by white parents in the States. Um, So I think a good starting point is just kind of to talk about adoption in general. I think that, surprisingly, we know a lot of people our age and within our general age range that are adopted, and we can kind of talk about the politics behind that, why there were so many Chinese Chinese adoptions. Exactly. So brief history basically (laughs) what we take from google (laughs) um there was a one child policy era in china which was between the years of about 1980 to 2015 and that policy 2015 really yeah is that recent i didn't know that me neither (laughs) google told me that but it was a a law basically yeah it was a law that restricted the amount of children a family in china could have to one child and if you broke that law there were like major consequences like you were basically fined you could have that child taken away and for like a lot of families in china like financially that wasn't an option like they couldn't pay for that so um yeah a lot of babies as a result of this law um resulted in giving up babies uh, do you want to talk a little bit about why why girls why yeah, yeah why there's a trend for girl it, it t- sort of ties in just culturally. Um, in China, uh, often when you get married, you're in sort of inherit the, the woman's family is sort of inherited into the man's family, and then um, you basically look after the man's 
family, essentially. Like, you are responsible when they stop working to care for them, to feed them. And so It's kind of like traditional gender roles. Yeah. That the woman is the caretaker and the point of marriage is for the man to have the breadwinning abilities, the ability to go work, make income, um, and the woman gets to stay at home. And so that's kind of the appeal of marriage is relieving that burden. And the women, but the women kind of get absorbed into the man's family is what I'm saying. And like, like her family doesn't disappear, but you're not no longer responsible for taking care of them. And so when this ban came about, a lot of families um, prioritize having boy babies because that meant later stability for them. It meant that if they got married, they would be well taken care of when they got older. Boys were definitely preferred. Also, boys could work more, like laborious jobs, um, whereas women... Again, like Leah said, we're, we're kind of like stay-at-home parents. I mean, it's more cultural than anything, but... Mm-hmm. So, it was recently ended, um, the one-child policy, and that was in 2015. And obviously, they... That's a good, what, 36 yeah, years, a, I think? So, it crazy. was enough for... It was a lo- period long enough for the government to realize that there were severe consequences with this law. Yeah, they fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's a huge disproportionate amount of men now right and no females to marry them right and i do think that it's true that there are a lot of female adoptees raised in the states yeah as a result yeah basically anyone you know or met that's been adopted from china 99 percent chance that they are a girl (laughs) yes so we were born Right in the middle of that, we are both 90... Well, are you 95? I'm 95. So we are both 95 babies. So that's right in the heart of when all of this was going on. So it makes sense that we have that experience. We're friends, um, just coincidentally. Yeah. But that we have that shared experience. But I think in college, like, on my floor alone, I had, like, three other adopted Chinese girl, like, friends. It's true. We did have... it was just, like, rampant. (laughs) I could name five off the top of my head. Um, of Chinese girls that we yeah and oddly enough like we all have like not I don't I don't want to say this without sounding like slightly offensive but like we have like a adoption radar where like I kind of know when I knew that they were adopted before they could even tell me I don't know I don't know what it was let's let's talk about that because I think I have that as well yeah but for me I think that the identifier is that which I, I am stereotyping in a sense, yeah. but from looks, obviously, I see Asian, but I don't see first generation Asian. I kind of see an Americanized yeah. version of an Asian person, and that's definitely a stereotype, but that is kind of the visual cue for me. And then sometimes if I'm close enough to know their last name, or maybe I find that on Facebook, or they're in a class with me, or I just interact with them to the point where I get their last name. If it's not Asian, most of the time that's kind of my two and two together to say, okay, I think they're adopted. And then obviously if I ever find out additional information, I'm like, oh, my hindsight's twenty twenty. But right. those two cues are definitely kind of what I look for and what my radars, <laughs> radar is sensing. Yeah. I mean, ob- the most obvious giveaway is if they're with white parents. Like if, yes. if, you, if I see any Asian girl with like, a white older person i'm like oh adopted mm-hmm. it's just like it's do you, too obvious do you ever feel like there's a sense of fellowship with them if you look at them or maybe you guys make eye contact yeah. or there's an engagement it's like yeah. oh i understand you do you think there's totally you do yeah, without a doubt like i often i'm not making eye contact with these people but if we were to and they see me with my white mom and i see them with their white dad i'm like they're a little like 
telepathy. You're like, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I know what you're going through right now. And I think when I was little, I was like, I was conscious of that. So like, not that I was embarrassed to be seen with like my mom, but I definitely knew people stared. And like, people would always ask me like, oh, is your dad Chinese? Like, they didn't understand that my mom was white. And I, I feel like at times, like, I regret it, but like, I definitely like, kind of shied away from, I don't know being seen definitely i think i think that's something we can dive into further because we do have lots of experiences that kind of shaped our identity as asian americans being raised by white families Mm -hmm. and it's something that we kind of don't really talk about day to day but as we kind of grow up and recognize these influences it's something that is worth discussing totally so i think we can start from kind of talking about our childhood as adopted children i guess another common question so if general conversation i'm talking to someone they ask why is your last name this i say oh i'm adopted i think the immediate question is oh when did you know you were adopted or how did they tell you right right right. um so let's how how did they how did you know mia (laughs) um well i well i don't remember a time where i was definitively told sat down and told, like, Mia, you're adopted. Like, I always grew up knowing, and I know that doesn't really make sense, but, like, for my mom, the way she described it to me was, like, it wasn't something that she wanted to hide from me. Like, she was always open that I looked different, that I was different, um, but that didn't, I don't know, that didn't change, like, me being a Kelman, which is, like, my family name. So, for me, I just always grew up knowing that I was adopted, not fully understanding what that meant, I think, as a kid. I knew that I looked different, but other than that, I didn't feel different, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. I think I share a similar experience, um, which I think just kind of goes to how we were raised. Like, our parents, I think that is common, actually, for adopted children is to not know when, when you're adopted at such a young age. I think six months is a very young age yeah. versus maybe four years where you kind of have that that memory. Right. And there's that disconnect between. Yeah, so we the fact babies. that we were babies, yeah. it was always just kind of something that I think we knew because we were raised by this person. Um, and so I can't think of anything similar to you where I was sat down and told I'm adopted yeah. and I'm different. But right. I do remember there was this one book my mom always read me. It was called A Mother for Choco, which was about this bird who was looking for his mother. And he... I a similar book. He, he, goes, yeah. he goes around to different animals saying, hey, you have... Uh, like to a giraffe and he's a yellow bird he goes you have yellow skin are you my mother and the giraffe is like no i don't have big cheeks like you and then she goes to a walrus and she just basically ends up not finding her mother until she runs into a bear who's willing to take her in and just treats her as one of her own and the bear has a hippo an alligator and a pig as already as a child and so my mom would read me that book I'm pretty sure every night when i growing so, up so I mean, it is a dr seuss is this, book is this your the book it's not Are You okay. My Mother, but it's because- called A Mother for Coco, and it's the exact, or Choco, okay. it's the exact say, same story. I was read Are You My Mother every night as yeah. a baby, and hearing that description, I was like, yes, yeah. my mom literally They're like went hammer very similar, <laughs> and I, I think I, it's one of my favorites, just because yeah, I, I grew up listening to it, like, every night being read to me, right. but I think that book was a big identifier and a yeah. big gateway into me understanding why I may not look like my white mother so and the moral of that story is like her mother ends up like or they what how, what happens like the, they the, end up being ta- she ends up being taken in by yeah, another animal right by another animal yeah. that already has three other kids that right. aren't the same species yeah it's basically <laughs> so, like adoption 101 yeah <laughs> <laughs> very rudimentary elementary version um 
That's so funny. Yeah, I feel like, yeah, I had just so, so funny thing that, yeah. like, adopt- adoptive parents, honestly, probably are just as lost as adoptive <laughs> people. It's just right. like, what so, can we do that's Yeah, so I think yeah. it's safe to say that within our family, it's just kind of something that we were learned to accept. We kind of just knew inherently. And yeah. it's just kind of a part of us. It's nothing really too defining or memorable in the terms of how we were told. Right. But I do think that it influences, just because me and I were actually raised on completely different sides of the states. Um, so I think that that experience does play into how we view adoption right. and how we perceive our families and our overall adoption. So let's kind of to talk about where we're from and our right. experiences and adopted children in the state that you live or were raised. Yeah. Um, so I was raised in New York in Brooklyn. So predominantly my, my fa- my adoptive family or my family, <laughs> um, they're Jewish. So I was raised in a white Jewish household. Um, I was raised by a single mother and I have a brother that is biologically hers. Um, which is actually something that we both share is we both have older siblings that are biologically our parents. Um, but yeah, so I was raised in a Jewish home, which is a little strange, but I was like raised pretty Jewish. I had a bat mitzvah and everything. <laughs> I went to Hebrew school. Um, so that definitely shaped a lot for me. Um, right. Yeah. So I think in contrast, I was raised in Hawaii which is very heavily Asian. Um, So white people are definitely the minority. I remember being in classes, everyone is Asian. Everyone had Asian parents. Um, And so I personally, as a child, never felt out of place with my identity. But I think I was definitely embarrassed, as Mia kind of mentioned earlier, when you're being seen with a white parent and you're very young and you kind of can't put two and two together. Um, but I remember specifically, this is just a little anecdote. My mom volunteered to be a chaperone on a field trip in maybe second grade. And my school is heavily Asian just because that's the population of Hawaii. And I remember before the trip, I wrote out a list of rules that she had to abide by if she were to be a chaperone. I was like, I I was in second grade. I don't know what I was thinking, but I wrote her a list. And one of the rules was you don't tell anyone overtly that you are my mother you can only affirm yes or no but you can't go out mm. sharing that you're my mother yeah. and that was definitely out of embarrassment i think um just because when you're young there's that sense of like naivety that no one there's no filter on young kids it's like oh they see your white mom leah why is your mom white yeah and you just don't want just, the question right honestly, exactly yeah. i mean i don't fault anyone but it's just it was just kind of like my my security guard my right. block um, and I found that my mom actually kept the list and I found it really? when I went home and I was triaging things and I saw it and I reread it and I was like, this is awful. I can't believe I ever thought that. <laughs> I, was like, yeah, I was a jerk to my mom. I can't believe she put up with me. Yeah. Um, but that is a defining moment. I remember, um, to remember writing those. And so I think that for me, I never felt out of place amongst the other people I was around, but more almost in my own family. Yeah. Yeah, that that embarrassment is so hard to come to terms with because it's like you don't you never want to be ashamed yeah, or ungrateful yeah, or grateful <laughs> for your family, but yeah, I remember there was a handful of those times too when I was just like I just don't want people to ask me questions and to point out that I'm different. Like mm-hmm. I just want to be kind of like invisible here. Mm-hmm. And that was impossible when you're walking around with like 
a very white person. It's just like you, everyone has questions, which is f- granted fine, but like as a kid, like that's the last thing you want to deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, so on a lighter note, I guess we can talk about some some things that we're grateful for. Not grateful, but things that we appreciate being raised by white people, maybe experiences, yeah. um, little cultural things that we kind of have now as adults and can look back and think, oh, that's interesting, but that's cool that I had that experience that is different from the traditional Asian um, yeah, Asian childhood. Yeah. So I think for me, uh, family dinners were always beef brisket, <laughs> meatballs and mashed potatoes, just very white foods, um, yeah. chicken tenders, things like that, um, spaghetti, it's just, I I grew up on that. And yeah. so now, even as an adult, I find myself cooking things that are not traditionally Asian. Um, yeah. And so that's kind of an interesting thing that I think has shaped me as an adult that I experienced as a child. Yeah. I have similar, like, food for me also. Like, obvi- again, I was raised Jewish, so a lot of the foods that I grew up on were traditionally Jewish. Um, so... Yeah, I definitely share that similarity. I don't know. I think I think there's a degree of privilege that comes with being raised by a white family. Um, like, opportunities that I might not have had had I been – or that I know I wouldn't have had if I was raised by, like uh, – Can you give an example of that? Like, something based on your name or – Definitely name. Um, for sure, people don't know. Like, when I send in a resume, like – I've had actually people like recruiters or whatever, like people hiring managers be like, oh, I didn't like realize you were Asian. Basically. I've had that like, as well. Yeah. So it's just like Mia Kelman doesn't sound Asian. And without seeing me, you wouldn't know that I'm Asian. Mm-hmm. Um, I think also just like I was able to go. I don't know. I was able to have certain experiences that I just don't think that like traditionally like Asian people would be put in the position to have at all. Um and then I guess just mostly like, I don't know, like, I guess we're kind of hoppa in a way like we're. I think I think there's that weird parallel when I hear conversations about hoppa, which means half um, white and half something else. Or is it half Asian, half something else? It just basically means mixed. It's typically referred to as someone who's half Asian, half white. But it's a mix of anything, really, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but. So back to the what you're saying, I think that when I hear conversations that Hoppa people have regarding not being able to identify fully with one identity, be it Asian and white, black and Asian, mm-hmm. something else, um, I having that disconnect and not knowing where you fit. Yeah, it's it's strange that I feel that as well, even though on the outside we look completely asian Asian. and we should say why are you having these crises you look asian you fit into that you know about asian culture you should be there but i think that internally it is split right yeah right and it's hard to justify that to people too it's like i used to hate being called like a twinkie or banana because i was like that's so racist but like truthfully a lot of me is what we would like stereotypically categorize as white Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not nothing that I'm ashamed of, but it is like this split duality where I feel like I can, I can easily fit into both cultures at this point, mm-hmm. where I can like kind of mold myself right. to fit into both cultures, which again, like double sided sort of like positive and negatives of that. But at the same time, like, yeah, there's just this like split duality, like split personality that like I can turn on and off, which is a little weird, but mm-hmm. yeah. When 
when you were growing up, did you identify more with one side? Because for me, I think, despite being surrounded by Asians, I don't think I... And I think this is partly being in Hawaii, too, just because it's such a melting pot of cultures that, like, there was no true sense of, like, a strong sense of Chinese culture. It's not like L.A. where things are segregated. You have, like, Chinatown or the 626 where it's pretty heavily influenced by Asian and Chinese culture. And then you have K-Town, which obviously is very heavily Korean um, populated. So in Hawaii, there was none of that. So I feel like my experience was never really truly, like, the traditional Chinese Asian. It was just kind of a melting pot and mix of cultures. cultures. so honestly, it wasn't until I came to college in L.A. specifically that I experienced that true kind of segregation between mm-hmm. Chinese, Asian amongst other all other Asians. Totally. Yeah. No, I think, yeah, it wasn't for me until I came to college, too, where I was like sort of forced to like face that part of my identity. But honestly, like growing up in Brooklyn, I went to a really small high school like I was one of two Asian people in my whole grade, so... And you're friends with the other Asian. And I'm friends with the other Asian. <laughs> um, but, yeah, my grade was super small. It was a small school, so I, I only had 52 people in my grade, and everyone was white besides, like, me, this other Asian girl, and, like, there were, like, a like honestly less than a handful of black people. Um, but, honestly, for me, I grew up pretty much until I went to college, just, like, really relying on this white side of me. Um, just mm-hmm. because I wasn't exposed to as much Asian culture. Like, we did traditional, like, on Chinese New Year growing up, I remember doing stuff with my mom and going see the, the dragon dance in mm-hmm. Chinatown and stuff. But, like, I didn't learn Mandarin. Mm-hmm. I didn't really take, like, Chinese cultural classes or anything like that. And honestly, that was probably due to me. I was just, like, reluctant to do any of that stuff. But, yeah, it wasn't until college where I kind of came to terms with that side of myself and, like, met other Chinese adoptees and just Mm -hmm. Asian people in general where I was like oh like so much of this makes sense now like I can I don't know I just felt like more understood by Asian people Mm -hmm. which I I never had before Mm -hmm. which is super Mm -hmm. strange I think it's true we'll probably touch upon this in future episodes about friendships and just kind of that side of us but I do think it's true that as adults I have definitely trended towards having Asian friends and kind of being more immersed in asian cultures like going to dim sum on sundays and going to going out in k-town and just kind of being in the general vicinity of asian related things (laughs) that i definitely find that is a trend in my adult life that i didn't really do when i was younger right or before even coming here and i think it is partly being in la and how it is very segregated Mm -hmm. um which isn't a bad thing it's just different it's something that we're learning to deal with our identities, come Mm -hmm. to terms with figuring out how Asian we are or what we're perceived as and things like that. Yeah, I definitely feel like that too. I mean, less so for me, it's not so much like gravitating towards Asian people, but it's like gravitating, and I know this sounds terrible, but like away from white people. Mm. When I like meet someone, if they're like POC, like I'm more likely to like have a more engaging conversation with them than if they were white, Mm -hmm. just because I feel like what you go through in life like it's just not the same mm-hmm. yeah we can get into that when we do the friends episode but it is interesting to see like the friendships we made as adults mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. versus kind of gr- how we were growing up and yeah where all i literally that. had and only even white in college, i think that was a tr- transitional <laughs> period as well I yeah mean, but that's also just dealing with college that that initial like 
knee-jerk reaction to make friends with anyone (laughs) despite anything so that's something we can talk about later but um another common question that a lot of adopted children get i think is related to our biological parents yeah (laughs) um so as mia said i also have an older sister who was the offspring i don't know how to is who is who is a result of my parents biologically my parents um my parents so that's something that we get a lot i think oh like do you view them as your real parents i got that a lot more so when i was younger i think as an adult people are more understanding and they kind of know they can tread more carefully around the words right (laughs) um i I get a lot um (laughs) i get a lot like what like um when people find out that i have like a brother that's biologically my mom's i always kind of get not point blank, but, like, why did they adopt you, basically? Like, mm-hmm. clearly they can have children. Like, why would they choose to adopt? Do you know the answer to that? Well, my mom was a single parent. So, I mean, she wasn't, like, they weren't, she wasn't trying to have another kid. So, adoption just, like, they, my brother wanted another sibling. My mom wanted another kid. Adoption <laughs> so, this was your brother's choice. Your honestly, brother's just like, mom, honestly, probably, yes, probably. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I just know it was, like, a joint decision on their part. They wanted to adopt Mm-hmm. a girl from china which is seems kind of strange as yeah. like my brother's was like what five when he decided yeah. that so <laughs> but um yeah just that's why i was adopted at least like why do you know why they decided um, to adopt you i think my parents both wanted two kids and they're they turned it towards the older age of having kids when they had my sister mm-hmm. and so i think they did try to have um, another biological child unsuccessfully and then i know that i actually wasn't the first like child that they had um for adoption if that makes sense so they kind of went through the process with other 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 venues of adoption they went through an agency a local agency in hawaii that kind of set them up with someone Mm -hmm. that fell through they i think i was third honestly so i think two prior to me fell through and then they said you know what, we're going to go through this international agency. And then that is, that's my story on how I got adopted, which I'm very yeah, thankful for. Um, but I just know that they were older and they were unsuccessfully, yeah, um, yeah, they were unsuccessful with having another biological child and they weren't opposed to adoption. Yeah. And so my mom was a big advocate for that. I also think back then to adoption, I don't want to say just... It wasn't as popular. So the adoption process, like now you hear about adoption and everyone like is like, oh, it costs so much money. It takes forever to happen. Like I know it probably wasn't easy, but my mom's adoption for me like wasn't nearly as expensive and took nearly as long as it would today. Like it was kind of like a lot more lax back then. Really? I don't know how long mine took, but I know my mom said I was pretty costly and that there was just so much screening that mm-hmm. I had to go through. Um, they had to go through, but I'm not sure. Maybe it just depends on how how you kind of go about adopting internationally. Like she, I know she went through an agency. Yeah, my mom too. Okay, so yeah. who knows? But that's a, something we should have our mothers kind of come on <laughs> here and tell us about that. So another thing that people always, like, I'm sure ask you, and uh, for, I know for a fact ask me, is just, like, our parents and our relationship with our parents. And, like, our... Either, honestly. Like, both, like, they kind of use them interchangeably until I give a cue on how I feel about it. But, um, like, they call my adoptive mom and, like, my birth parents and, like, how I kind of define both of those. But for 
for me, like my when I say my mom, I'm just I'm referring to my adoptive mom. Um, just me too. Because yeah, like we grew up with that was just our parents. Like I never thought of her as like my adoptive mom. Right. Um, she's just my mom. So I agree with Mia. What you said earlier, my mom. First first thing that comes to mind is my mom, the mom I was raised with. That is the right. figure and vision of the word mom. <laughs> and so that is. That is my mother, my real mom, my adoptive mom, my real mom. I call her my real mom, too. I think that's sometimes a phrase that comes up. Um, She is my real mom. And in terms of my biological parents, honestly, I I get this question a lot. And I think I kind of have a very negative perspective or realistic, depends on what you how you think. But a lot of the times I kind of say, like, I don't assume that they are alive. Mm. And I don't know why. I don't have really any foundation on that, but I just, um, I don't know. That's kind of my perspective. And if, if anything, I'm extremely grateful that they put me up for adoption just because obviously they made the choice that they thought was best at the time and it worked out okay for me. So in hindsight, it's just, I'm extremely grateful and yeah, thankful, but I don't think past that. I don't kind of think about what they did, why they did it, who they are as people. I kind of just, I think it's easier for me to cope and just think that they did what they, they made the best decision and they're no longer here for whatever reason. Right. Yeah. I think that's one way that Lee and I have always approached our adoption differently. It's like, for me, I struggled with it and I still struggle with it. I mean, I don't think I'll ever stop struggling with it. Um, but for me, I always ask why, like, I always ask myself and, like, and to avoid, like, why. I have a lot of curiosity about, like, who they are, what they did, and why they did what they did. Not to say that I'm not grateful, because I am, and I, like, I honestly love my life, and, like, I'm so grateful that I was raised by the family that I was raised by. But that being said, like, I do feel like I just appeared in this world and like anytime someone talks about like you know the hospitals they were born at or like what it was like when their parents were carrying them as a as when they were pregnant or even their birthdays like I get weird on my birthdays just because it feels like these are all answers I'll never have of like and I just kind of feel like I just appeared randomly in this world and I don't have any way to track it back to like me literally being born um so yeah. Would you ever reconnect with them if you had the chance? Like, I would. Really? Yeah, yeah I think no, that is something- I definitely, like, yes. I would totally reconnect with them. I've thought about, like, searching for them. I've thought about, like, yes, given the opportunity, I would absolutely know because there are certain things about me that I just want to know where I got. For me, like, a big thing is, like, I want to know why I look the way I look. You know, like, what features I got from my mom, which features I got from my dad, like, for me, that's just always been something that I've been curious about. Because when I look in the mirror, like, I only see me. Whereas, like, mm-hmm. my brother looks in the mirror and he, like, is a spitting in- image of my mom, you know? So, for me, that's always been – it's just, like, no closure for me, you know? Like, mm-hmm. And that's just some- that's something about my personality. Like, I like to have all the answers all mm-hmm. the time. And so, for me, there's just always this big question mark and that causes a little bit of – uneasiness in me Mm -hmm. but i know it's different for everyone and like uh, you you can talk about how it's different for you um so if i were to just ask myself would i want to reconnect with them i think the answer would be no just because i don't have the same level of kind of self-exploration that you have i kind of just am more 
okay, this is me. This is how I was raised. And I'm okay with that. And Mm -hmm. I want to say thank you. But I don't kind of feel the need to dive into the past. Mm -hmm. And so that's just a different perspective. Um, I do think, though, what you talked about with how you look, I think that's an interesting one because you and I both have taken 23 in me. And those results, I think, were kind of surprising, which we can talk about. Mm -hmm. Um, But in that sense, like, there's just that interest, but it's very superficial. It's not in the genuine, what traits do I have? I just kind of want to know, what do you look like? And am I... Am I remotely close to that? Right. Yeah, I sometimes think about, like, things that I've inherited and, like, whether or not that's, like, nature or nurture. Like, mm-hmm. even even stuff as, like, boring as, like, health things. Like, I am super sensitive, like, digestive-wise to certain things. And, like, I want to know, like, is that because of DNA or is that because I've been, like, sort of nurtured into this different type of life? Um but yeah, we both did twenty three on me. I'm a hundred percent Chinese, no doubt about That's it. Okay, but the first time your Chinese results came out, out. <laughs> the first time your results came out, you did have like yeah. like two percent Korean. Whereas- I just think that's because twenty three on me was still building their data right. points. Like basically, the more people that sign up, the better data points they have. But yeah, at first I thought I was like diverse as fuck. But then it turns <laughs> out a year later or two years later, I'm very much Chinese, which honestly. <laughs> pretty impressive because that means no one in my family had children with anyone that wasn't Chinese. Like, they straight up only had sex with Chinese people, (laughs) which is pretty funny if you think about it. But, um, yeah, I'm 100% Chinese. Leah is not. I am. (laughs) My results are 75% Chinese. Woohoo! And then 25% Vietnamese. That means at least one of my parents was half Vietnamese. Vietnamese, Maybe. Or one of them was a quarter just like me, and they just kind of fornicated and had that ident spitting image. Yeah. But, but yeah, you're a quarter I think it's more Vietnamese. likely that one was half Vietnamese. Yeah. Um, Which is honestly, it makes a lot of sense because Chinese and Vietnamese are is, is actually right. more common than you would think because yeah. they are so close Definitely. and they have like... Did the, you ever get... So before 23andMe, did you ever get like stereotyped as which type of Asian you were? I think because I, missed, I yeah. no, I think because I was like raised by such a white community, like no one questioned what kind of Chinese or what kind of Asian I was. I just like they took it for granted that I was Chinese. <laughs> yeah. Mostly because I think most white people just like the first type of Asian they think of is just Chinese. Like that's it's just true. Kinda I think it was think a little it. different in Hawaii just because there's so many Asians. There's Filipino, yeah. Japanese, yeah, Chinese. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Cambodian, Malaysians. Right. I don't know. There's just so many. Indian. There's so many right. types of Asian out there that you just kind of assumed everyone has a blend. Right. Um, so for me, I always got... I think it was also a little easier going back to mom and being with a white parent that a lot of people did assume I was Hoppa, mm-hmm. um, which obviously isn't true, but I think just those features and people being more accustomed to looking at Asian right. features, it was just a lot easier for me to kind of not get stereotyped as 100% Chinese or like treated differently because of that. So totally. Yeah. Just going back to 23 and me quickly. Like, I think we also did it for different reasons. Like I did 23 and me originally. I did it like the first year that it was like made. Mm-hmm. Like I was one of the You're first people back in the day. Yeah. Real soon. And I did it because I figured if I ever had, like, some other random sibling that decided to do 23andMe, like, I'd be there. I, like, I would have my information there so that, like, be there at the 
forefront so that people if like I did have like a sibling or like an auntie or an uncle that like they would be there so I'm actually on 23 and ancestry.com just in the you know off chance that like did you get different results from either I did get different results from from ancestry but I've heard that that is a thing that ancestry doesn't trace Asian bloodlines like as well as 23 me but I kind of just did it to be there in case one day you know, I do have a sibling or, like, some distant relative. That being said, like, I have, like, hundreds of distant relatives on 23. Mm-hmm. I think for me as well. Yeah. The closest one is, like, a third to six yes, cousin or something. Exactly. But then I have, like, hundreds right. of those. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I, I think the most I share DNA with someone is, like, 0.07 or something. Mm-hmm. It's, like, some small amount, which if I really want to, I guess I could trace. But, um, yeah, it's nothing substantial. Mm-hmm. So why did you do 23 and me, I guess? I think mine was just to know what I am. Just, I think I was more ap- interested in the appearance look because I often right. get that I don't look Chinese. Chinese. And I don't know. I was just interested in that. I always grew up – I grew up with a lot of Filipino friends. So mm-hmm. I always wanted to be Filipino. And being in Hawaii, I was tan. So I always kind of jokingly was like, oh, I'm Chinese Filipino. And no one really questioned it. So at one point, I think you gave me your promo code and I was just like, I'm going to do it. And right. I just want to kind of know for sure what I look like so I yeah. can tell people. So mine was very superficial and surface level. Yeah. Um, and I think you'll find that with a lot of – adoptees is like everyone's kind of at a different place with their adoption like Leah and I are on a different page with our adoption but like if we talk to all the rest of our adopted friends I guarantee you like they would all be on different pages too with Mm -hmm. it um and it's nothing wrong with that it's just like we're just it's how we approach it and you know that's okay that is different so have you ever gone back to China? Let's talk have, about yes. our first experiences back. going to the motherland. <laughs> motherland. <laughs> so I went I went back to China during high school for the first time. I went, like, on a community service trip. Um, what does that mean? Like, who were you with? I was with, like, it was one of those, like, trip, I, I don't know how to describe it, but it was a trip as a teenager where, like, you do community service, but you also, it's, like, sort of adventure and, like, travel. So, like, a travel camp. So, I went back for a month. Um, a month? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I was, um, so, like, we spent half the trip doing community service. Um, so, we, we actually, like, worked, like, helped out at orphanages and stuff. Um, and then I spent the other half doing, like, all the touristy things. So, we, like, went to see all the the sightseeing the stuff, the Great Wall, yeah. Beijing, um, just, like, all that stuff. So, um, yeah, that was a weird experience for me. I was younger, um, so I wasn't to full terms with, like, my identity. I was still in high school. Was the group you were with similar to you? Were they adopted Asians? Were no, they Asians? They were, white. were they white? Oh, okay. They were white. Um, okay. I think they were always i don't know it was it was a long time ago how did you get around did you have like we had a tour guide and okay. he was asian obviously and i remember his name to this day sunny he was a sweetheart he was our translator our tour guide just like our everything to china and he was the best um but yeah everyone on my tour group was white so that was different yeah. um we also didn't visit like where i was originally from we like were in different areas of the of the country but for me, that was tough because people thought I was obviously, like, 
native there, so they right. would only speak to me in Mandarin. And, and then they see you're with a group of white right. people. and that's very confusing. And, like, in China, if you ever go back and you're white, like, people will just take photos of you, like, randomly. <laughs> they're not We're, used to foreigners They're not all. used to... And they just want photos of white people. I don't get it, but, like... And people be, of color. I was with... Yeah, with for, yeah. Yeah, any people of color, but... but not Asian. Um, I would just remember being, like, with my group of, like, this group, and everyone would just be taking photos of us, and then I, like, quickly realized it was... They were not taking photos of me. They were taking photos of, like, every other white person in my group. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. It was a, it was weird. It was a weird cultural experience. I haven't been back since, but... Um, you want to go back, though? I do want to go back. I want to go back to the place where I was found. But, yeah, one day I will. I think, now that you're um, talking about cities that you're from, I think another interesting part of 23 and me which granted i don't know how accurate this is but i was always told i was adopted from hebei which is right a little bit south of beijing but my 23 and me results show that like the majority i think at least 50 percent of my dna was found in the southern part like like mm. way south kind of closer to shanghai yeah. and all of that that's south right i think that's south basically it was completely different a completely different region of china right. than what i was told i think that's also just kind of interesting to think about i think same for me like where i was adopted from was not where my 23andme results told me Mm -hmm. and that's probably just a result of our birth parents like moving yeah migrating or just like yeah being in a different city which is not totally outlandish like people move all the time for for work there and stuff so but yeah it is interesting that like you don't have an exact marker i guess Mm -hmm. i don't know yeah but how was the first time you visited My first time back was two years ago. It was right after college and I had free time and I figured, (laughs) well, why the heck not? I'm never going to have free time like this ever again. Uh, It was a very last minute trip, honestly. It was was. kind of, it was like I had a job lined up and I thought I would start right after graduation. And then she said, no, 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 you start in two and a half months. And so I figured, well, what the heck am I going to do? I might as well travel. So granted that it was so last minute, I didn't have a travel buddy. So I decided, well, maybe my first trip back to China, if I have to do it alone, I'm going to be part of a tour group. So kind of similar to you. Yeah. I was part of a weekend, maybe two week tour group that was just kind of you sign up and you there's an itinerary for you. You visit four different cities. They have activities planned for you primarily at the tourist attractions in the morning and afternoon and then at night you're free to do whatever you want and so I did that alone and my tour group was it was me plus one family that was from India and I think that was so I actually I'll just backtrack a little my mom placed me in Mandarin school when I was very young because she wanted me to hear the language at least be able to have some of the pronunciations of the words Um, and I also took Chinese throughout high school middle school I even minored it in in college so I have kind of this basic understanding of it I would call it textbook not fluent like conversational yeah the textbook conversational it's very like oddly formal slang and stuff right like exactly and it's i still have a very strong like accent to it despite being able to say the words so i kind of so knowing that i kind of have an experience of being exposed to china through textbooks or things like that the basic knowledge of the history of it and basic words so me and this family were just kind of on tour guide they were fairly ignorant, and I think that was just very eye-opening to me, not not on their fault at all, but the fact that I was so 
interested in China and my like I had this history of wanting to learn the language wanting to learn the culture wanting to like kind of make connections there and to kind of be in a group with someone who didn't know the basics of right. China or like even the politics like yeah. he, they asked if China was a democracy and just kind of even the basic knowledge of that yeah. it was very off-putting to me and it kind of ruined my experience because I I just felt like wow there's actually people out there who think like this like I kind of probably mistakenly viewed that trip as this is my first time back to China it's right. gonna be so great I'm gonna learn so much about myself but instead it was just kind of like the slap in the face yeah. of wow no one really knows or at least the people I was with don't know anything yeah. about my culture and some my roots so that was a little bit frustrating but I have have I been back since I have. I went back. Oh, yeah, I went yeah, to yeah, Hong Kong, went, but yeah, that's back, yeah. well, it's... arguably part of China. Yeah. But um, yeah. So that was kind of my first experience back. I'm, as Mia said, I also have that prejudice of people looking at me, part of this tour group, speaking Mandarin to me and expecting me like to answer. And I could hold conversations. I could at least explain. Like, I was raised in the States, I was adopted, I'm here for my first time. Like, right. I could at least kind of have that conversation, and and people, like, like that. I think it's also weird that Chinese people, Chinese natives, are so interested in you as an adopted child. Right. They want to know so much about where you're from, like, your family, how this happens. That's true. Like, they're, totally. they're, I got so many questions, and I couldn't answer them to the degree I can in English. Right. But they, I just remember getting so many. They yeah, were, everyone the, was interested. Yeah, now that you say that, I remember, like, you would drop the word adopted, and people's people would totally change how they would react. Yeah, to it was almost like I was extremely privileged in right, their eyes. They yeah. kind of held me on this pedestal. It was strange, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, that is super interesting. But I think, I mean, for me, I have a desire definitely to go back, mm -hmm. learn more about my roots, go back to where I'm actually, like, from, from. Um, but, yeah, that day just hasn't come yet for me. But it will, and I'm sure it'll be healthy for me. But for now, um, yeah, I haven't been back since. So I think that's a good place to... I think the, the point of this episode being, f like, fairly early in our... Um, discussion of <laughs> is that it it does set a foundation for how we view things how we interact and our, our even perception of events and things like that so i think it is important for us to explore our adoption and i think it'll shape a lot of the future discussions we have on this podcast like just knowing that we are adopted and knowing that like we might not share certain you know experiences that traditionally like asian people have that were raised by asian parents like like cat obviously is not on this episode but like she's not adopted um so i'm sure moving forward through different episodes like we'll have different experiences and we just wanted to set a foundation for why we might have those experiences why we might have those beliefs it's definitely influenced a lot about me um and so we just wanted to get this episode out there so it was a little more clear moving forward so yeah, so we're going to wrap up things there and uh, we hope you enjoyed this episode. We will be back um, soon with the next episode um, and that will have Kat here for that. Um, if there's any questions. Yeah, any questions. We have, a, we have an Instagram account. Can I mention the Instagram yes, account? Yes, you can. So we have a Instagram account um, which is called uh, yappyhour.podcast um, and if you have any questions or if you, you relate to us. Yeah, if you have, relate to us Send us a DM, comment on a photo. Um, but yeah, we hope you enjoyed today's episode, and um, we'll see you guys soon. Farewell. Bye. Oh!
You know, as different as everything seems this holiday season, one thing still holds true year after year. Everybody loves holiday scratch-offs from the Ohio Lottery. And with tickets available from $1 to $20, they're the perfect gift for anyone on your list 18 years or older. So, stay safe this year and play it safe with your gift-giving. Give scratch-offs from the Ohio Lottery! Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Please play responsibly. Donato's just didn't add bacon to their pizzas. They added bacon to their bacon. Canadian bacon and hardwood smoked bacon. Or Canadian bacon and Chipotle seasoned bacon. Get $2 off a large bacon duo or any large pizza. Use promo code 2. Donato's. Every piece is important.